So the Bible reading today is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the, the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Hello, everybody. This is the third week in our Advent series. So throughout Advent, we've been following the theme of coming home. And in uh, the first Sunday in Advent, uh, we looked at how we come home to God, how that is, uh, we, we seek God with our hearts. Our direction is towards him. And then last week, we looked at God coming home to us because, of course, it's true that although we might be seeking God, actually the truth of it is that God comes to us and he came to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And this week, we're looking at how God is with us on the journey. So, of course, we have a direction to our spiritual lives. We seek God. We are found by God. But also it's true that in the course of our lives, whether that's a literal journey or a metaphorical journey, God is with us. He is present with us and he appears to us in ways that we might not expect. 
We're going to look at the Bible in just a moment at this text uh, that um, Heike, uh, sorry, Hilke read for us. Uh, thank you. But as I looked at this story of Jacob, uh, Jacob's dream, and as I thought about this theme of God with us on the journey this week, I realized that that, that theme, that, that word, God with us, is actually quite inadequate to express what actually goes on when God joins us on our journey of life. I was thinking about this uh, just a couple of days ago when I was in the car on a journey myself, and out of the radio slid out at me a phrase, and I thought, that's it. That's what goes on when God is on the journey with us. I was listening to Desert Island Discs with the author and naturalist Helen MacDonald. She has a particular affinity for birds of prey. And she was talking about an encounter that she had uh, with an albatross, a gigantic bird, probably about that size, I don't know, <laughs> I've never met an albatross. But it, its wingspan, uh, each wing is about as long as I'm tall, if not longer. I mean, it's a gigantic bird. And what she said was this. The albatross looked right down its squid-cutting beak at me with its amazing, dark, Madonna-like eyes. The entire world was made new in that moment. The entire world was made new in that moment. She was trying to convey what it was like for her to come face to face with this phenomenal bird. But I thought, that's what happens when God becomes involved in our lives. The entire world is made new. God is not just with us. God, the creator God, is recreating us. He is making us new. He is making our world new. So let's see, shall we, how this plays out in the story of Jacob. How does God encounter Jacob? How is Jacob's entire world made new? So the passage starts with Jacob leaving Beersheba and setting out for Haran. And the reason that he's on this journey, which we didn't get from the text um, that we heard, was that his brother Esau wants to kill him for tricking him out of his birthright. So Jacob is a fugitive. He's had to flee from home to avoid being killed. And he's gone to stay with his uncle in Haran. And there's a sense here, I think, that he's in a bit of a no-man's land. He's left his home, but he hasn't yet reached the place that he's heading for. So this place where he stops to lay down his head, he just describes it as a certain place. It's a no place. He's in a kind of limbo. He's dislocated geographically, but also socially. He's had to leave his home and his family. My daughter is going to see the new Spider-Man film this week. It's called Spider-Man No Way Home. And I thought this is quite a good title for Jacob here. We might call him Jacob No Way Home. 
And I wonder if this speaks to you at all at the moment, this sense of being in limbo, having left one place and perhaps not quite feeling your home yet in another? Or does this speak to us as how the world is at the moment with a new COVID variant, perhaps that sense of getting back to normal, which we thought we were on the road to, is no longer there, and we're not quite sure what that involves for us and for our world. It's disorientating. So Jacob lies down to sleep in this certain place using a stone as a pillow. I think he must have been really tired to use a stone as a pillow. And in his sleep, he has a significant encounter with God. It's interesting, I think, that it's when Jacob is sleeping, when his guard is down, that he is able to receive God's word to him. I think sometimes when we're putting all our resources into surviving from day to day, we have a tight-fisted control over our lives that perhaps we need to just loosen a bit so that we can hear God speak to us. In his encounter with God, Jacob sees a vision, a vision of a stairway between heaven and earth with angels, the messengers of God, going up and down this stairway. It's a glimpse into a spiritual reality. It reveals the truth that earth is not cut off from heaven. Earth is not abandoned by heaven, but the two are intimately connected. Heaven is involved with earth, and earth can access the gifts of heaven. But the point of Jacob's vision isn't that he's able to have this transcendental religious experience. The point is that he hears and encounters God himself. This is what God says to him. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And there's such a lot going on there. God starts by declaring who he is. I am the Lord. I am the God that has chosen relationship with you and your family. And then he announces a gift. I will give you this land. And through you, the whole world will be blessed. So God is here reiterating the covenant that he's made with Abraham and Isaac before Despite his many flaws, despite the fact that he is a fugitive on the run, Jacob is included in this promise. And then God continues to speak into Jacob's fear and dislocation. 
I am with you, he says. I will watch over you wherever you go. He assures Jacob of his continued presence, but also of his continued care for him and for his descendants. And it's, the image here is of a shepherd watching over a flock. And then he says, I will bring you back to this land. So remember, he's speaking to someone here who's fleeing for his life, someone who's had to abandon his family and his home, someone who's in limbo at some place between A and B, neither one nor the other. I will bring you back to this land. I will bring you home. So perhaps Jacob is given the promise offered by another Spider-Man film here. It's no longer Jacob, no way home, but Jacob, homecoming. (laughs) And finally, God says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So God says to Jacob, I am the Lord. I will give you this land. I am with you. I will watch over you. I will bring you back. I will not leave you. And we might think, okay, these are wonderful, comforting words, and they must have been very comforting for the sleeping Jacob. But the key here is that, unlike some figures in public life, at the moment perhaps we might think, God is unable to speak empty words. God is unable to speak words that are empty. When God speaks, his words are consequential. They have weight. They have meaning. They are doing words. Isaiah says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So when God says, I am with you to Jacob, he is with him. When he says, I will bring you back, Jacob, Jacob knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will bring him back. When God says to Jacob, I will not leave you, his word is truth. His word is reality. And because God's words are truth, Jacob's entire world is made new. This is his albatross moment. This vision is not just a comfort to him. It has recreated him and his world. And so when Jacob awakes, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I thought it was just an ordinary place. I thought it was a no-man's land. I thought this was just a limbo between where I'd come from and where I was going. But now I realise How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 
these words are written on the revolving door at the entrance to St. Paul's Cathedral, where I used to, well, I used to work in the city of London and I'd regularly go to St. Paul's in my lunch breaks to pray. And uh, you might think that this is an amazing, huge, awesome cathedral. So to have these words on the door, this is none other than the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. It feels that maybe this is an arrogant assertion. This is such a great place. God is here. This is awesome. But actually, I think these words speak to the countless tourists who came in every day, treating this just as a museum. No, this is the house of God. These words might speak to such a tourist. This is not an ordinary place. This is a place where we meet with God where we worship God. So how do we respond when we are made new by God's word? Jacob responds in worship. He set up the stone that had lain under his head and he anointed it with oil as a dedication to God. And he makes a vow, binding himself in commitment to God. His world has been recreated. Where he was once a fugitive, living in fear, now he has a future. Now he has the knowledge that he and God are bound together in a covenantal relationship. He has certainty. It's in the nature of God to create. And when we allow God to look at us, And when we look back at him, invariably we are made new. We are recreated. Will talked earlier about Mary, about how God spoke his word to her. And that word was not empty, was it? That word was not meaningless. That word bore the fruit of the incarnate Son of God. Mary trusted the promise of God to her, just as Jacob trusted the promise of God to him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God's words are doing words. They have consequence. They have weight and meaning. And so Mary's world was made new and our world was made new in that moment. And so Jesus himself becomes the ultimate touching point between heaven and earth. He is the stairway. And Jesus, when he's talking to Nathaniel in John's gospel, tells Nathaniel, you'll see greater things. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We no longer have to wait in the wilderness for God to touch us through our dreams, although God does do that and he will continue to do that. As we gaze into the eyes of Christ, as Christ gazes in his love and compassion at us, we will find our world made new again and again and again.
And just as God assured Jacob, I will not leave you, Jesus sends us out to be his agents of recreation to a needy but beloved world. And he assures us, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. I wonder if we might respond with prayer. Lord, how often have we felt that we don't quite know where we are? We're just out in the world, perhaps feeling slightly homeless, perhaps not knowing quite what our identity is. Come to us, Lord Jesus. Turn your gaze upon us. Help us to relinquish our control a little bit over our lives so that we can turn to you and gaze upon you, look into your eyes and see your love for us and your word to us. Make us new. Make our entire world new. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Amen.